Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in experts and authors to help writers of all genres compose more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, Aaron Philip Clark steps in the interrogation room to try to get his story straight. Aaron's a novelist and screenwriter from Los Angeles, California, and his work has been praised by the likes of James Salas, Gar Anthony Haywood, Gary Phillips, Eric Beatner, and Roger Smith. In addition to his writing career, he worked in the film industry and previously worked in law enforcement with the LAPD. His most recent novel, entitled Under Color of Law, is inspired by his experiences with the LAPD. It was published by Thomas and Mercer back in October. The story features detective and protagonist Trevor Finnegan, whose mistakes as a black rookie cop within LAPD assured his rise through the ranks and also haunt him to this day. The second installment in the series, entitled Blue Like Me, will be released later this year. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on Writers on the Beat, man. It's an absolute honor to have you here, and I'm so grateful for you sharing your time and your expertise on all the, the craft and the process of, of writing a book of this caliber. Uh, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Now, this latest release that you've put out, Under Color of Law, for folks who didn't get an early copy of this, what do you want them to know about this story and this main character, Trevor Finnegan? Well, I think the, the best way to kind of put it is that it is a police procedural, but it's a police procedural with a conscience. And so uh, I set out to write um, a, a crime thriller, um, and that's kind of how it's, how it's built, but a crime thriller uh, with many noir aspects set in Los Angeles um, in 2014. Uh, it's set shortly after um, the death of Eric Gardner. Mm -hmm. uh, that happened in uh, New York uh, with, uh, by NYPD. And the idea is that LA is this very yeasty, bouncy, um, energetic time, like many cities um, at that time who were reacting to what they had seen on video. And so um, my detective character, Trevor Finn Finnegan, is a rookie who's kind of worked his way up, but in some ways has gotten his way, uh, has made his way to become detective maybe in a very sketchy or shady, uh, you know, path that he's taken um, without giving a whole lot of weight. <laughs> so, you know, he, he, he has become detective grade uh, one, uh, you know, he's a rookie detective and he's, and he's tasked with having to solve the homicide of a black um, LAPD recruit. Uh, and so this recruit, ultimately is found um, in uh, Altadena, which is actually the uh, sheriff's jurisdiction, but is uh, they relinquish uh, their jur jurisdiction over to LAPD because he is indeed a LAPD recruit. And so Finn is tasked um, to work this case solo uh, because his partner is actually on maternity leave. And um, in some ways, the department is looking for him to, uh, to fail. And simply kind of make him go away permanently, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and listening to that, uh, that description, like, especially, you know, with, uh, with, with my cop background, all, all these alarm bells are just instantly going off, right, about, you know, um, putting a, a, a new detective on such a critical case, and 
having to work it solo and having another agency relinquish jurisdiction. Like those are all a lot of things that um, for people familiar with those kind of issues, like it really tells a lot about the the dynamics of the story and about a lot of the things that are at stake here. And I, I really appreciate all that, uh, all that detail, all that authenticity. Oh, thank you. I mean, yeah, for this, for this novel, it, it, I mean, I was in the police academy in, in 2014 and I come from a, a line of law enforcement. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be considered a legacy into LAPD because it was actually my uncle um, who, who was an LAPD uh, detective. But uh, I wanted approaching this story, having come from a police family, um, having friends who were on the job, you know, it was important for me not to, um, important for me to get the details right, because mm -hmm. that was one of my, my pet peeves. Now, obviously, there's some creative license in there, like, as people yes. read it, who are familiar, maybe like, oh, you know, that's not how we, that would necessarily happen. But, you know, I, for the sake of the plot, you know, I had to kind of, uh, finagle some things but for the most part I wanted to approach it the way that you know a detective would approach an investigation uh, especially when you don't know a whole whole lot um, and so and he's a rookie um, so the idea was to have this almost almost novice uh, detective I mean this is the biggest case he's ever worked um, thrown into this situation and kind of watch him um, you know, struggle sometimes, have a few wins, um, but do the best he can, uh, you know, to figure out who murdered this young man. Um, and so it's, it's, it's some aspects where he, where he's kind of sloppy and he's not refined, but that really was, was the idea um, to make it as realistic as possible to what that would really look like for a uh, young, you know, rookie detective um, who doesn't necessarily get the support of his department, and how would he go about handling um, such a monumental case? Uh, from a um, kind of a uh, kind of a craft perspective, this as a crime thriller police noir. To me, a lot of the noir genre focuses on the PI with the kind of stained or um, difficult but relatable background and there i am having trouble thinking of a lot of other noir detective novels and th this seems to be a pretty unique even though it's not a huge step but a pretty unique way to tell this type of story yeah i i mean i i'm trying to think myself i mean i guess you know if you and i guess with noir right it's it, sometimes it's difficult to define it in terms of genre mm -hmm. because there's a lot of aspects that borrow from noir but then it's it's you know billed as a crime thriller mm -hmm. um or a police procedural i mean i think you know i think about bosch i mean there's many aspects yeah. to bosch that are very noir um you know kind of like taps into some of those traditional um you know aspects in terms of how especially especially with many of his openings um mm -hmm. you know bosch is often <laughs> You know, Bosch is often like alone or like, you know, he's wondering like who has his back, you know, he's waiting on like the airship or something and, you know, he could be ch chasing a suspect and all different types of things. So, yeah. you know, sometimes, you know, he, he really captures that noir vibe. 
um, early on. And so, you know, with this novel, um, I think in some ways I was, I was thinking, okay, well, what, you know, sometimes police procedurals feel very safe. I mean, when you're reading them, you think, okay, there's a detective, there's a partner. Um, mm. You know, you never really feel like, oh, this person's in a whole, whole lot of danger. They kind of have the, the department at their disposal. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to uh, move away from that and kind of show that sometimes as a police officer, and in fact, this is what was, I was told in, in the academy is that they used to tell us, you know, there's going to be days you stand alone. And when I was writing this, that always kind of echoed in my head. And I was like, how, how can I really convey that? That yes, while you are a detective and you work within this organization, you work within this department, there are instances and situations where you truly are going to stand alone, whether or not it's, it's alone, um, you know, literally uh, that you're off somewhere, you're, you've been separated, you know, or you're chasing a suspect and you're truly alone or alone in the sense that, um, as they used to say, the umbrella of the department, you're, you're out of that umbrella. <laughs> that, yes. That's, you know, yeah. you're, you're no longer under that umbrella and you don't have the, the support and you're really out there, you know, mm -hmm. trying to do your job the best you can, um, but you, you essentially don't have that, that backup. And so, you know, that was kind of, kind of the approach. And I think that, that, channels noir because mm -hmm. you know historically those characters you know it may be a pi um but that pi is is often you know might have some help along the way but that pi is really um you know solo taking on taking on major cases yeah and that that uh that experience of being in an environment where you're expected or rather you expect to always be under that umbrella when that umbrella moves and those first raindrops hit you, that is <laughs> such a lonely and isolating and vulnerable feeling that you can't experience through words. I don't think you can adequately convey what that is like, but I think you've done a pretty incredible job at making a, a real effort at that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I, I have friends who, who, you know, with LAPD, have friends with other departments, and, you know, they describe those times, you know, as you, as you put it, where the raindrops hit them, and they, they really were like, whoa, you know, um, I didn't know it would look like this, you know, where maybe they had a misstep, uh, maybe yeah. they, didn't, they didn't do something quite right, um, and you know, it, it's a very quick shift um, where you realize like, hey, um, you know, you could, you know, you could really be isolated. Like, you know, you, yes, you're part of the, you're, you're, you're an officer, you're part of this department, but you can go from people looking at you in a way that is like, okay, you're, you're squared away, you're solid. And one mistake could have them looking at you like, you're a walking lawsuit, you're a problem. Um, we can't wait till you leave, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah. you know, and so it's, and it's just a very quick shift, you know, all it takes is like, you know, one or two incidents or something that, that goes awry and, and, you know, you become that guy as they used mm -hmm. to say, you know? Yeah. And as a, as a writer, right. Especially in the thriller 
genre, the ultimate goal of the writer is to put those, especially the main character, through as many trials and tribulations as possible. And for for somebody in this profession, um, you've done a really fantastic job of taking away a lot of the safety nets that are either perceived by the reader or exist in reality for these type of characters. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, that really contributes um, uh, to allowing the reality, some of the authenticity of this to really shine through uh, versus those folks who who write in crime but haven't um, haven't had those experiences or had those intrinsic um, gut-wrenching moments. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good way to put it. Intrinsically gut-wrenching. <laughs> It's really, I think, in terms of mood, that's that's what I was going for, <laughs> you know, because I feel like that's that's so much of that's so much of police work, you know. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, it's like sometimes it's real and sometimes it's it it could be just something that you've imagined, um, you know, in your head. But you have those you have those moments. Um, and sometimes you have those moments, you know, throughout the day. Um, and sometimes it might happen just once a week. You know, I mean, I, I look at it like, um, you know, with this novel, it was important to tap into that kind of emotional, um, have that emotional resonance, you know, to really tap into what it's like, uh, you know, to feel that whether or not it's coming for Finn, whether or not it's coming from his training officer. Um, you know, who was kind of always twisting the knife a little bit, or it's coming from, <laughs> you know, it could be coming from his father who, who, you know, is retired LAPD and now, you know, has kind of a chip on his shoulder and, and um, has kind of, um, you know, is, is almost demonizing Finn's profession um, when Finn is, when he's very much the reason Finn, you know, in some ways becomes a police officer. Um, not the, not the, I wouldn't say, you know, he's part of the reason, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, Finn essentially suffers this trauma in his life and his young life that kind of pushes him in that direction. Um, but having spent all those years with his father, um, it, it almost makes it easy for him to, to become a police officer and kind of go that route and give up on his, his, his passion, which was, you know, art, which is kind of the exact, you know, very much the exact opposite of, of yes. police, police work, you know, but to have a character make that such a drastic shift um, in priority and in some ways in, in personality, um, you know, it changes you. I mean, you mm-hmm. are who you are. You are who you are. But I think when you go through the academy, um, there there's a level of, of you know, indoctrination that happens where you know you the idea of the individual was now gone and then you're part of this this machine you're part of this department and you represent this department and so um you know there is a little bit of a of a shift that has to happen in terms of of you know who you are and how you perceive yourself and how you kind of move through the world and so um you know for finn that 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 was very much um, part of part of it in writing his character and really, you know, developing him is that I, I wanted him to have been one thing um, and then drastically become this other thing. Um, and then throughout the course of the novel, slowly kind of get back to what he once was um, and kind of the last time you remember kind of being happy or, you know, mm-hmm. feeling like he like he was in a good place in his life. 
Now, from a um, from a storytelling perspective on this, so that with this being written, um, uh, like we see Finn in, in in first person here, and I wonder for folks who write in first person, is that uh, something that Finn kind of is that kind of how he introduced himself to you, or is that a conscious decision you made about how to tell this story or this type of story? Yeah, I mean, for me. I mean, I guess you would say that it, it's kind of both. I mean, you know, when I started thinking about Finn, I, I, I really had this idea of the confessional. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I started thinking about a lot of uh, memoirs and, um, you know, uh, memoirs I had read uh, in the past. And then, this, and, and then also like in grad school, I had taken a class on life writing. And so we had, we had come across all these different types of uh, approaches to writing about one's life, um, and it just it just felt natural to take that approach because I I I wanted Finn, I wanted the reader to have this visceral and very vicarious experience with him and have access to the inner uh, his kind of his thoughts and his inner workings um, along the way because really in terms of the plot and the crime. Well, we find out things just as Finn finds them out. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's not that kind of know-it-all detective who already kind of has figured it out and then it's the reader who's catching up. You know, we actually are almost like discovering these things real time, which is how a real case operates, right? So that that was part of it too. And so having first person kind of allowed for allowed for that. So when the reveals hit, you know. We get to see Finn's reaction, um, but as readers, you know, we're, we're feeling it too, you know, I mean, it, it could be, you know, a punch in the gut and we're like, okay, you know, we didn't see that coming. Well, he didn't either, you know, <laughs> so. Oh, with uh, this, I understand it was just recently awarded the 2021 Book Pipeline Adaptation Award, so congratulations on that. Oh, thank um, you. And in terms of the, the first person, and I... I am generally pretty ignorant about screenwriting. Um, and that's, of course, one of the things that all writers, uh, all novelists, I think most of them would really like is, you know, for their book to show up, of course, on the big screen and, you know, that they put this, this screenplay together. And I know enough about it to know that I don't want that <laughs> because I'm not, a, I'm not a screenwriter. And with your, with your feet in both worlds, I wonder... Um, how how difficult that transition is to take a a first person novel and turn it into uh, into a screenplay that readers uh, viewers get to share that that first person experience. Well, I mean there there's there's some challenges, uh, and I think you know one of the benefits though, having started really in screenwriting and then moving over to uh, to fiction. Um, is that when I write, I, I see things visually. Um, and so I think about things as, um, as vi- visual scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so while Finn is, while the novel is first person and we, in, in, in many aspects, the, you know, the, the uh, you know, Finn's thoughts and kind of the inner workings of how he's figuring the case. Well, the, there's a few ways to potentially do that in screenwriting, but 
none of the ways that I really like. Um, and, you know, we always have like voiceover, right? Mm -hmm. And it works in some instances. I mean, anything done well can work. I'm just not a huge fan of it. So really the challenge has been to take kind of Finn's experiences um, and find a way to work the, that into the story um, visually. And, um, you know, and, and really that just means essentially knowing what he would do in those situations and, and giving him more um, kind of more conflict along the way where some of the feelings that he has that are apparent in the book um, can now make their way, uh, you know, into the adaptation, uh, but just in a different form. Uh, you know, prime example for the, you know, within the book, he has this relationship with Tori and, you know, he, he, he has this conversation with her in which they're really talking about growing up in, in childhood and they're in having these pets and how he had this pet that essentially was a goldfish that had kind of escaped their, its, its um, aquarium um, or its fishbowl and jumped out and into hot dishwater and, and essentially died. Um, and he actually has respect for this fish because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that it was a pet, that it, it was captured and it wanted to be free and it, it leaves. Tori's response to that is that, you know, it, it seems for her, it doesn't connect. She says, well, I don't get it. You know, I mean, the fish had sound like the fish had it made, you know, fishbowl, everything, food, clean water, you know, and, and he's saying, no, that's, that's, it was a prison, you know, and so to try and convey that into, you know, the, the script, um, you know, has been a challenge, but in some ways it, it has allowed me uh, you know, to create scenes where now Finn is, is feeling like he is in a prison. Um, you know, I, I had to craft a scene where he's, he's jogging uh, downtown LA and, and he's seeing how people are living. He's seeing, he's very close to Skid Row. So he's seeing how, um, you know, people are essentially living on the street and then he's pulled over himself. Um, and he kind of waits and, you know, he's patient. And then when they find his police ID, you know, they realize they made this, this, terrible mistake and so you know he kind of feels like um and the way that I have to write that scene is that all around him you know he there's the officers who are now searching him there is um you know people people who are suffering on the street and it's just like being that fish in that bowl all around him there really is no escape and so um you know you taking that scene and having to kind of adjust it and, and do different things actually gives those moments, you know, um, more life in some ways, just in a different, a different form, but they still have the same emotional resonance. And that tangents back to some of our, our earlier talk about the umbrella and being, you know, either part of this group or part of the others. And, you know, Finn has this really um, diverse and dichotomous experience that that's really, um, really impacts his, his character and the way he sees the world. And I, I really appreciate how well you did that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I mean, yeah, he's, he's complicated. You know, people say, yeah. <laughs> you know, people say like, wow, you know, this is, um, I've never read a, a detective like this before. And, and I say, well, you know, I set out to try and create a human being first before creating a detective. And so, you know, I was thinking, you know, what experiences, what would he go through? Um, 
you know, in his, in his young life, uh, and how would that inform his, you know, his kind of the present day or what he ultimately becomes, you know, and, and then I said, okay, I'm going to give that guy a badge and see what happens. I mean, that was kind of the, the approach. Now, with, a, in, without giving anything away for the folks who, uh, who should be clicking on Amazon right now to go buy this, um, what, uh, what's, Next, in is this about to become a series? Is uh, we're going to see future, future episodes, future installments with with uh, Finn and company? I mean, I hope so. Yeah, I mean the 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 second book um, in the series, Blue Like Me, uh, right now is set to uh, be published published in November uh, twenty twenty two from Thomas and Mercer, and it takes place two years after. The events in the in the first book um and so it's 2016 and uh you know finn is is without giving a whole lot away in terms of his career there's been some drastic changes mm-hmm. um and so uh financially though he's doing very well um <laughs> and so you know that's that's one thing he's not he's not necessarily living in a kind of a dilapidated art loft anymore but he he has kind of moved on up and he's living in a, a nice community and and things are going well uh, for him in terms of his relationship and and things look good um, but he also has this kind of albatross and he is he is trying to to do the best he can um, while he's kind of working through the guilt that he he kind of carries uh, from that first case from from um, from the first book, and essentially uh, that's kind of where we where we pick up. Um, but he is, uh, you know, he's still a detective, and he still is going to be taking on. And I would say it's probably the I mean, the the death of Brandon Sol- Soledad, the police recruit is a big case but I would say Finn gets kind of embroiled in a much larger case in the second book that has um, greater implications in terms of his personal life. Now I always like to uh, to ask a hypothetical on the show mostly because it's fun for me Aaron um, and uh, if you're if you're willing to play along. Sure. Now for uh, someone who for you to have written this caliber of story i i expect you're obviously a reader of crime crime thrillers noir and this is not your 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 first trip around this particular block so i wonder if you know god forbid it should come to pass but if you were to wake up tomorrow and find that you've been murdered i wonder what two fictional investigators PIs, detectives, assassins, revenge artists, whoever you'd, you'd choose, who would you pick, two of them, to work your own homicide? Oh. <laughs> um, uh, and it doesn't matter in terms of time period or... Nope. Okay. Hmm. It's a tough one. You know what? I will go with Easy Rollins. And I will go with Bosch because I think that would be a really interesting team. Up. <laughs> I don't know if they would find out what happened to me, but <laughs> I would just like I would just like for that to exist. <laughs> you know, just to, just to see. 
that that needs to be a fan fiction episode yeah i mean i think it would be amazing you know there's i mean you can go a lot of places with it but if to get to get easy rollins and 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 bosh on the same timeline and you can make easy you know um essentially you put them at 70 or 80 or something like that Mm -hmm. have a young a young bosh you know that would be kind of fun that could work yeah it it would it would be somewhat analogous to the bosh and ballard installments right now so yeah that's true that's true but where can uh, uh, readers follow you get in touch on social media sign up for a newsletter how can they keep track of all things aaron clark sure so my official website is aaron uh but i'm also on uh instagram uh, and you can search aaron philip clark uh, or you can just put in the username, which is at Write Me a World. And I'm also at, at Write Me a World uh, on Twitter as well. I am so appreciative of your time and expertise and sharing your thoughts on all this, Aaron. It's uh, been great having you on the show, and I'm really looking forward to, to getting through this, uh, through the rest of this book and getting uh, that advanced copy of uh, the next installment, maybe early next fall. I'm looking forward to this, man. Oh, for sure. You got it. And I I thank you for having me on. This has been great. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been Aaron Philip Clark. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.